on. Am I on? Is that better? 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 Okay. All right. Now the mic's working. Now I'm going to take it. I'm just kidding. I'll leave it on. You like westerns? Five of you. Great. Okay. We are a little bit of a western state, so I figured there'd be a few of you. Sometimes in a western story, be it in in page or on film, you see this phrase, meanwhile, back at the ranch. And it usually refers to a sudden change of scene, um, to something ongoing but apparently unremarkable action, not necessarily relevant to the main drama that has captured our attention. I chose this because I think it exemplifies how we see the part of history that we're in. Sometimes we see it as insignificant, not yet completed, and not very dramatic. Now, I don't believe in that for a second, but we'll go into more detail in that uh, in a little bit. First, though, the significance of today's date and this tie. It's a week after Memorial Day, and it's Happy Gregory Day, 55 years of marriage for Pat and Larry. as well as the anniversary of their children's marriage in two days. Did I get that right? Okay. It's also exactly 77 years after D-Day. Good, some of you knew. And we remember those who sacrificed so much for the cause of freedom in other lands, the rescue of people in other lands. We honor them for it. We treat their memory with reverence. They gave their deaths and their lives for freedom and life and righteousness in the lives of others. And I think I need to go to my next slide. Yep. They were less concerned about possessions, more concerned about ideas. They insisted on action rather than comfort. There's much for us to learn from their attitudes. Battle for them was traumatic confusing, costly, and life-altering. We should expect no less in the spiritual battles that we face. It is June 2021, and we give thanks for warm, sunny, some of the time, school-free weather, right? And the promise of summer for COVID dying off and VBS again. It's a time for rejoicing, for relief, for recovery. We've been through a tough time emotionally for more than a year. Elections and conflicting sources of facts, COVID restrictions and conflicting sources of facts, mask mandates and social distancing and restaurants closing and different styles from one business at home to the next. No certainty to be found in any circumstances left us a little worn, reserves depleted, with little will to make firm commitments about long-term dreams. 
future seems less predictable and more volatile than ever before. Walking into that future with confidence seems unreasonable at best and ridiculous at worst. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. We'll come back to that later, too. We also celebrate the beginnings of new lives in our midst, new relationships in our body, new changes in our circumstances that give us opportunities to improve. Change is the only path to improvement, to learning, and to growth. It's also a reminder of some endings. In September, the splitting of the United Methodist Church in the USA will become officially finalized. The main point of contention is the proper response to homosexuality. Some want to treat what is holy as something common that requires no restraint or conflict with deviant appetites. We see many kinds of unity being broken by decisions to adopt unbiblical beliefs and reject orthodoxy. Jesus predicted these times in which we live when he said in Matthew 10, 34 to 39, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. From now on, five in a house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Unity is a good thing, but truth divides sheep from goats. Because what fellowship can Christ have with Satan? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Jesus predicted that a man's enemies would be those of his own house. As many converted Muslims, Hindus, pagans, and even Christians have found. Paul's last letter includes the words we each hope we can say at our ending when we die. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We will only be able to say that if we hold true to Christ's words and example when it is hard to do so. And it will be hard if it hasn't been already. At some point in your life, probably more than once, living your biblical beliefs will cost you and make you suffer when it would be easy to forget them just this once. Jesus himself, full of love, healing, and mercy, was hated, envied, and feared by his enemies. We should expect to endure something of the same treatment in this world. The more we look like Christ, the more we will frighten and frustrate anyone who is against him. But we will get to join with Joseph eventually in saying that though our enemy meant our suffering for evil against us, God turned our suffering, our unfair treatment, our unjust results for our good and redeemed them. Today is also part of the period of memorial for the Tulsa Greenwood Massacre from the 1920s. It seems to me like you could view this as both an ending and a beginning. It was a violent end to many lives and the operational glory of Black Wall Street. But by God's grace, it has become a part of the beginning of healing, new friendships, and cooperation in the Tulsa area, some of which has been ongoing for a while. What a blessing that Tulsa's example of prayer, cooperation, and friendship should prevail over hatred, antagonism, and ignorance. 
I think God is pleased by all the efforts to bring true healing rather than provocation and vengeance. Now that massacre was meant for evil, and many still try to use it for evil. But God is working it for good in Tulsa. I praise the Lord for our mayor and governor as they have both taken a hard path in the face of loud opposition. Religion and politics, oh yeah. So let's talk about biblical beginnings and endings. Early books of the Bible have a lot of these. I've been reading in Genesis about the creation and the fall of the human race, the flood and the restart of humanity through Noah, the splitting of peoples at the Tower of Babel and the Abrahamic covenant from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. In all of these famous episodes, God reminds us all of his plan that is not yet fulfilled. Though much has been fulfilled, the last chapter is still not written. Christ is coming again, and we have work to do. In the meantime, in between time, ain't we got fun? Got no money, but oh honey, ain't we got fun? Who, who knows that song? All right, there's my people. <laughs> the beginning of Jesus' ministry it actually came before the Sermon on the Mount, although we often skip over that. According to Matthew 4, Jesus went around Galilee telling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven was near. It is nearer now. There is need for repentance. But resistance and apathy are easy to find. The world has forgotten about the great holy power whose justice must be satisfied when we face destruction at his hands. According to John 5, 24, as God's people, we have escaped this wrath, but the wrath is there. And even more than general corporate sins in our societies, there is the personal sin hidden inside of each of us that needs repenting. Just as much as the corporate societal sins that we may have. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about the different levels of importance given to these personal quiet sins, depending on our belief system. If we only live until our body dies, if you're a materialist or an atheist, then most of our quiet sins are pretty easy to ignore, even if they grow slowly over the course of our lives. But if we are immortal, if we will live forever, as the Christians believe, then every slight imperfection in us would grow to be absolutely intolerable during all eternity. Lewis says hell is precisely the correct technical term for what it would be. This is why Jesus is so insistent that we address or allow him to address these quiet sins now, not when they get big enough to be problems visible to other people. One devotional series I've been reading on the Bible app calls them baby dragons. Easier and less costly to kill when young and acting cute. Deadly to allow to grow into ugly adults out of control. Anyone who's raised children understands the danger of allowing these patterns of behavior to become set without contending with them. Three-year-olds are much easier to discipline and mold than 13-year-olds. In repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, according to Isaiah 30, 15. 
Repentance is something we should be doing every week before communion and should strive to do in each moment where we realize we have disobeyed, put ourselves first, left our first love, and caused harm to anyone made in God's image, including ourselves. We deserve eternal punishment. Only God can save us from that. When we get ourselves off the throne of our hearts, we make room for the one who can fill that aching, restless void inside of us. Only one lived as a man to redeem sinful man and bring us back to our true father. Our father loves us so much that he did our part for us since we couldn't do it. In the face of our connection with God ending, God decided to make a new beginning. He made a covenant, starting with Abram, that was not dependent on Abram's behavior. He made a covenant with David on the same basis. Jesus' relationship with his disciples was not dependent on their behavior. God's love for us, his commitment to us, his work in us comes from his goodness, not from ours. Good thing. We can allow or refuse his transforming power, but we have none of our own. All the really difficult work to be done inside of us must be done by God. He wants us to be a creature like himself. Not just the best version of us. You hear that sometimes in pop culture. Live your best life. Nah. God's got something better. He's got something transformational. Make you something different entirely. Above all, he wants us to be connected to him. Walking in fellowship with God and man in newness of life. He wants us with him. And to be with him means we have to be like him, a particular kind of creature. And so he is relentless in his efforts to transform us into that particular kind of creature. That new life, that new beginning can only come from the source of new life. So we see beginnings and endings in our calendar and in the Bible, but what about middles? We have any middle children in here? Middle children? You are not forgotten. <laughs> Sometimes they feel that way, right? The oldest kids, everybody has pictures of their first child's first birthday, second birthday, third birthday, fourth. By the time you get to the youngest, they're like, yeah, they graduated, good deal. And the youngest kids kind of make their own place for attention, don't they? You youngest know how to get people's attention, don't you? But sometimes the middle children, although they're so well-balanced and able to get along with everyone, sometimes it seems like they get kind of passed over. You are not forgotten. Is there a little truth in this, maybe? A little bit? <laughs> My daughter showed me this on a t-shirt, and I had to laugh. I thought it was great. I'm an oldest. I know you can't tell, but I'm the oldest of four. I have two brothers who are twins. 
different as night and day, born five minutes apart, and a sister younger than them. Not sure where my brothers fall, but my sister's definitely a youngest. <laughs> so, with beginnings, God made for us some rules to follow, didn't he? From day one, God's people are distinguished by their desire to follow God's rules, even though they couldn't do it on their own. We live under the same rules that all mankind and all the followers of God have always lived under. In that sense, we have a kinship with the firstborn. God gave us rules for our protection, just as every good parent does, foreseeing our enemies' attacks in our broken world. He knew the reasons we would need to follow rules. Our sin and our enemy are those reasons. Our failure to keep God's rules is proof of his holiness, our enemy's existence, and our own need for a savior. In that sense, we also have kinship with the middle child. But in the end times, the Bible says, the love of many will grow cold. Knowledge will increase. People will heap up for themselves teachers of what they want to hear, and many will betray others. Sounds as if people will behave as though no rules apply to them. I think we're getting close. In that sense, we also have kinship with the youngest child. At the very end, of course, God will destroy the enemy and all of sin's power. He will bring justice and peace, and in the new heavens and new earth, there don't seem to be any rules because there's no sin. <laughs> there's nothing that opposes God's nature or his plan. He probably won't even remember this joke. How many of you like to read novels? Anybody like to read fiction? A lot of people, okay. When you read a novel, the beginning is usually compelling, right? Author's trying to get your attention, get you interested in reading the rest of it. We meet characters. We begin understanding the main problem, maybe get a dose of humor. And then the endings are great, right? Closure, couples pairing off. Justice for the bad guys, vindication for the good guys, reconciliation between the estranged, hidden things revealed. And the author drives home their main idea. We have this same kind of ending to look forward to in God's story, don't we? Because our work has a reward, a victorious conclusion. God mentions this several times in the Bible. Psalm 92.4 talks about, um, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. Proverbs thirty-one, thirty-one: give her the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 3, 22a. So I perceived that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. Even in this life, this principle holds. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. There's that triumphant ending. And then he will reward each according to his works. His ending is the ultimate ending, as well as the beginning, because God left himself open, wide open, for the best sequel ever. But what about the middle of the book? Anyone like to just crack open a random book? A fiction to the middle to see if it's any good? No? I'm shocked. That would be confusing at best, wouldn't it? 
we would need to read the early chapters to get up to speed on the plot and who the characters were. We would probably be compelled to keep reading to see what finally happens about the problems described. We would look strangely at anyone who declared that what they preferred was to read only the middle and skip the beginning and ending. There's so, I say there's something wrong with that, though. We were made for completion, for finishing, for a satisfying end to our labor. So where are we in the story of our lives? Are we at the beginning and ending or somewhere in the middle? And what should our attitude be about our place in this story? Biblical middles. As a group of believers, we are somewhere in the middle of God's story, although closer to the ending than ever before. We are not the soldiers on the beachhead fighting for a foothold on enemy-occupied shores like the disciples or the early church. We are not yet a part of the heroic columns marching in to plant our flag in the headquarters of the defeated enemy. We are in the woods, the hills, the sands, and the waters in between. In the trenches, the foxholes, the camps, and the tents. We know we're advancing to the ultimate victory, but we also know there's a lot of work, fighting, and suffering left ahead before we get there. So the attitude to hold in the middle of the campaign, in the meantime, in between time, involves looking around. This is the time to recruit, to warn, to inform the civilian public about what to expect. This is the time for training and mentoring the young new recruits. This is the time to seek healing from all the little injuries and irritations so they don't keep getting in the way. This is the time to clean and sharpen the tools and the weapons, to fuel up and tune up the vehicles, to make repairs, order supplies, rest up and eat up while there's still time, maybe build some relationships by a fire or in a tent. Consider the story of Nehemiah. This is pretty much his story. He comes in in the middle. The temple's already been built, right? The laws are already been read. The people are spiritually in line with God, but the wall is still flat. They've got no protection physically. He hears about this, and it, it just tears him up. So he goes himself. He doesn't have anybody he can send, so he goes himself. And he starts mobilizing. He starts explaining. He starts pointing things out to the people in Jerusalem. Hey, this wall, it's not, it's not going to help. We, we need some protection here. He sees what's coming. He sees the potential, and he understands the enemy, and he starts taking steps before the enemy does. Also, if you read Nehemiah, there are several times, at least two or three, where the enemy tries to trick him, tries to get him looking bad, tries to get him in what looks like a compromising position, tries to uh, assassinate him, and he doesn't fall for it because he understands the enemy and he's focused on where he is. He comes in in the middle and he says, I am focused on the middle. Let's do what needs to be done here now today and then we can take other steps. I'm called to build a wall. I'm going to build a wall. And he does. 
And he has a passion that catches fire in all the people in Jerusalem to be focused on the wall. They've got the temple. They've made a good start. Start was great, but we're past the start now. We're in the middle. And the ending isn't yet. So let's do middle as well as we can middle. He knew how to succeed. He succeeded by staying in touch with God and God's plans and purposes for him. There's no record of him, you know, wandering off to a hillside going, I wonder how things are going to be at the end of the world. He doesn't have time to worry about that. He's got a wall to build. It's a time to look around. It's a time to build a wall, maybe. It's also a time to look back. In military terms, this would be the time to mourn the loss of fellow soldiers and to remember them with fondness. Memorial Day was a week ago, and that's what that holiday is for. To remember what others have taught us and showed us. It's the time to remember mistakes and learn from them, and to remember successes and how much help we had in them. It's time to gain inspiration from the stories of those who have gone before us and faced our struggles as disciples of the one true God. It's a good time to look back at our own lives to see God's relentless love, unstoppable faithfulness, and unfailing goodness even in our suffering. Look where we are now. Look how far God has brought each one of us and all of us. See how we are no longer where we were? God didn't leave us behind. He came. He found us and rescued us, and he walks with us now. Consider Moses and the book of Deuteronomy. Boy, there's a speech. I forgot to sit down partway through that because he, he goes on and on in the best oral tradition, right? He recounts all of the beginnings of the people of Israel. He goes back to creation and he goes back to Exodus and he goes back to the law given at Sinai. He goes back. He, they get to see their whole nation's history laid out in front of them. He talks about the law. He talks about the nature of God. He talks about God's plans and purposes. And he doesn't mince words. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't leave anything out. You read through Deuteronomy, and you're probably going to say, wait a minute, haven't I already heard this? Because you have. Because you've got it two or three books back to look at. Not all the children of Israel had that. Moses was the one who wrote it, but they didn't have copiers back then, so it's not like you could just Xerox six million copies for everybody to have their own. They started from one man, Abraham. By the time they came into Canaan, they were at least five or six million strong. Boy, there's a history for you. And to continue with that, all through the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, all the histories of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, all the way through the major and minor prophets to um, the uh, exile and then coming back again, more history, more of the same. God's relentless faithfulness. 
God following through on what he says he will do. That's one of the hardest things about being a parent is when you say, if you do that again, and then following through on what you say you're going to do. God does. Warning after warning, prophet after prophet, repent, 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 or I'm going to annihilate you. Okay, you ask for it. It's a good time to remember. Good time to look back to see not only God's power and his holiness and judgment, but also his great mercy. Even in judgment, God is always merciful. The promise of the Messiah and then the coming of the Messiah. And then all the promises the Messiah made. All of it is part of our history, isn't it? It's also a time to look forward. Time to be alert in post-centuries. The enemy will resist us. The enemy will attack us. The enemy will set traps for us and try to confuse us. It's a good time to study strategy and tactics, to practice making the right decisions before the heat of the moment overwhelms us. It's a time for intelligence to be gathered, for us to know whose voice to follow in the noise of battle for us to get familiar with the names and faces of the soldiers next to us and those leading us. We might be surprised by the origins of some of our comrades in arms, by the motivation of the soldier next to us in the foxhole. We should expect to find opportunities to share our own stories and listen to the stories of others as we gain a greater appreciation for the scope of the battle in which we fight for the traps for which we should be watchful. It's a time to plan the next move so we know what to focus on. It's especially a good time to review how God designed the end from the beginning, how every moment is fitted together to fulfill his purposes, even our mistakes and sins. It is good to be reminded that our present moments, while they may seem like meanwhile back at the ranch, are not isolated from history. Our lives are not absent from the big story. Our part is a valuable contribution to the final results of history. It's a time to ask, when I look back, what will I wish I would have done? What parts of our story will be most pleasing to the God who orders our days? What things will we be glad we missed out on? Glad we let go of? Glad we sorted through when we had the time? It's a good time to review and analyze endings and plan and begin to execute beginnings. Keep the big ending in mind. It's a good time to be reminded that you may not be the obvious choice for God's calling on your life. But if you're God's choice, all the enemy's attempts to stop you will fail. For if we are the branches connected to the vine, we cannot help but bear fruit. If we walk with the source of life, we cannot help but reflect his glorious life to those around us. God wills that we will succeed at accomplishing his plans. So that's what's wa what will happen, guaranteed, if we abide in him and he in us. Consider what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. 
one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So you see, we can walk into an uncertain future with absolute confidence in the story our God is writing. In the meantime, in between time, back at the ranch, God is at work, and we will celebrate what he is doing. What are we to say about these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, Danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Meanwhile, back at TCF, God is doing great things. See you there. <laughs>